The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwire.org.
may remember a few weeks ago that there was quite a bit in the news about a revival at uh, Asbury College. Uh, according to the account that I heard on a podcast that I listened to, it started basically because the minister who was responsible for the sermon that morning closed it out with just a comment that there may be some of you here this morning that have never really been assured that you are fully accepted and loved. If that's the case, then he invited people to come to the front and to experience God's love. One young man came, and then another, and then more, and finally the whole campus, and it turned into a a 24-hour-a-day prayer and praise service that lasted for two weeks or more and drew people from all over the country. Thousands of people crowded into that little town, a little town that's even smaller than Portales. It only has two stoplights. <laughs> and they, they came even from around the world. You know, I don't know what kinds of things they came down and confessed and asked God's forgiveness for, but maybe these are some examples, and maybe some of them, pertain to some of us in the room this morning. Lord, I've been promiscuous, but I've never been loved. I've had my heart broken, and I feel betrayed. I was abandoned by my spouse. I'm adrift. I feel rejected. I'm an addict. I'm addicted to a substance. And I feel rejected by society. I struggle with my sexual identity. And I feel unloved. I never really felt accepted by my parents because I'm not sure I ever measured up to everything they expected me to be. Well, my parents divorced. And I don't really feel like either one of them fully loves me. I never seem to fit in at school. I'm just kind of an outcast. I had an abortion, and I feel judged. And that list could go on and on. And maybe there are some in the room this morning that don't feel fully accepted and loved this morning. Well, these emblems that we're about to partake of represent the fact that to be fully accepted and loved is readily available to everyone, no matter what your circumstances and no matter what you've done. Scripture is replete with proof that God loves you. Genesis 1 states that God, the maker of heaven and earth, his final creation was man. Man, made in his image. That's you and me, folks. We're made in his image. We are the image of the Almighty God. What a divine compliment. In chapter 3, when sin entered the picture, instead of the instant death that they deserved, instead God took an innocent animal and sacrificed it to cover their sin and let them live their lives out. And further, he promised that just as the snake had used a woman to bring sin into the world, he promised that he would use a woman to birth a child, a perfect man, Jesus, who would in turn kill the snake and take sin out of the world. Psalm 8 says that The sun and the moon and the stars are just the work of his hands, the work of his fingers, if you will. You ladies that knit, that's how hard it was for God to do that. But in another place, it says that he saved us by his mighty right arm. Psalm 139 tells us that he knit us together in our mother's wombs. We are not mistakes. He made us. He loves us. Paul tells us that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us while we were enemies of the cross. And in John, we read the familiar verse, for God so loved the world. And by the way, that includes all of us. That he gave his only son to die in our place. So that if we believe that truth, that his death pays for our sins. And we place our trust in him and truly follow him in living our lives. That we don't have to be separated from God. Instead, we can spend eternity with him. There's an old song that says, He left the splendor of heaven, knowing his destiny was the lonely hill of Golgotha, there to lay down his life for me. And if that isn't love. So, when we take these emblems, we are to remember that sacrifice, but that should have the same result in us, that it did in Asbury. It should begin a revival in me. But a revival is only a revival if it brings life, new life, a permanent change in our behavior. And a revival should not only result in a glow, a warm feeling, just a fuzzy feeling. No, it should result in a go. Jesus didn't tell his disciples to stay on the mountain He said, go and tell the world that you are fully loved and that they can be too. Most of us in this room will remain right here in Roosevelt County probably this week. There may be a few of us that venture someplace else in the state or maybe to West Texas. But we don't have to leave home to share the love of Christ. Nearly everybody in the room has email or Facebook or TikTok or Twitter or some other means of communication that reaches people across the country or maybe even to the other side of the world. And we can share in a positive way, unlike many who are on Facebook. And because of the availability that we have to travel, some of us may even travel to the far reaches of this country. Or some of us might even find ourselves on the other side of the world. So, go. Knowing that you are fully loved, be revived by the experience of communion. Live like you are fully accepted and loved. And don't just glow, go. Go, telling the good news in your words and actions Living like Christ, because that's what Christian means, to be Christ, wherever you go. Fulfill the Great Commission, because you are loved. Father, thank you for the assurance of your love for us. May we leave this experience of communion renewed, rejuvenated, and on fire to tell and show everyone we meet that we have been accepted and are filled with your love, and that your love and acceptance is available to everyone else as well, no matter their circumstances, and no matter who they are or what they've done. Revive us. Bring us fully alive in you. In the name of Jesus, our Redeemer. Amen. Where would you live? If money was no object, where would you live? A mansion, in the woods, seaside, all of that kind of stuff. Where Where would you live? Maybe you're a beach person. If you want to live in a beach, this one is called Over Yonder K. It's in the Bahamas. It's 15 bed, 12 bath. It has its own heliport. And you can rent it for a mere $400,000 a week. Or maybe you're a mountain person and you want to go to a mountain resort. This is called the Villa Jane. It's in Aspen. It's a little bit cheaper. It is six bedroom, nine bath can sleep 12 people, it's only $350,000 a week. Or maybe you're a golfer. Any golfers in the house maybe want to play on this course. This is called Shadow Creek. It is in Las Vegas, Nevada, not this one, but it's in Las Vegas, Nevada. It is the most expensive course in the world right now. It costs $1,000 per person per round. And you can stay at the Shadow Hills Villa, or excuse me, Shadow Creek Villa, 
um, for a, a six bedroom, six bedroom, eight bedroom, nine bath for only four thousand dollars a night, five night minimum, and you have to pay all of the green fees for every day. So there's another five grand. So you're going to run up a little bit of a bill. All right. Now, if you got that kind of cash laying around, you need to meet with me after church. We got to talk. All right. Or if you got one of those villas in the Bahamas uh, hiding out somewhere, uh, help a brother out, okay? But where do you think God would choose to live? You say, well, that's a dumb question, Don. You got heaven. Heaven's pretty great, isn't it? What if I told you that Scripture will tell us that's not his favorite place? Exodus 25 is where we're going to be. Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. We're embarking on a journey together. We're going to go back in time and back in our history. We're calling it his dwelling place. For the next five weeks, we're going to look at the tabernacle. I heard there's one coming, so I thought we might, you know, have a little idea, concept of what it's about. I want you to know right at the outset, I'm not an expert. I'm trying to learn this as we're growing together. But I want us to be Bible literate. All this year, we've been talking about being people of the Word. I want us to know what the Word says and where it comes from. I want you also to know that I'm not advocating we return to Judaism. But I'm telling us we need to know our history. We need to know our roots. We need to know where we come from. And that's why we're calling it His dwelling place, because that's what He calls it. I'm going to encourage you for the next few weeks to make plans to be here, to bring your Bible, to bring a notebook or a journal or something like that, and take some notes so we can double-check. I'm going to throw a ton of verses at you. We're not going to have time to look at everything. The next couple of weeks, we're going to look at furniture and why it's important and why this thing we're bringing in around Easter. You see, the tabernacle is a moment of physical and spiritual importance. Because in this place, God begins regular contact with man. That's the first place that he began regular contact with all, all of man. And the, this tent is evidence. It's tangible evidence of God's desire to have a relationship with you and I. And we need to see some things and we need to understand some things about this tent and the law and the tabernacle because it all points to the cross. And if we'll understand the tabernacle, we'll understand the temple and the sacrifices, we'll understand more why we do communion and why we have the cross. Now, I want you to get two things out of today. I'm not a big three-point sermon kind of a guy, but I want you to get two things. Number one, God is pursuing you. Just what Scott said today, He loves you, you're valued. God is pursuing you. And God's plan A is in place. There never was a plan B. It's always been plan A. Plan A from the very beginning. He says, prepare me a place. And I say the word sanctuary. Everybody say sanctuary. If I say that word to you, what do you typically think of? This place, right? Typically, that's the auditorium we call it. Oh, we're in the sanctuary today. You know, That's what it is. It means a holy place, a place set apart. And that next line in Exodus 25, he says, there is a tabernacle. Everybody say tabernacle. Tabernacle is an interesting word in the Hebrew. It's pronounced mishkan with a lot of guttural sounds to it. It means residence. But it's an interesting word because it can be a noun and a verb. He wants to build a noun so he can verb with you. He, I want you to build a tabernacle so I can tabernacle with you, so I can live with you, so I can reside with you. This place was more than a church. It was the center of camp. It was the focus of life where God joined them. Well, so what is this tabernacle? What is this tent? What's the big deal about a tent? The tent is the first steps to bringing us to Jesus. 
In Genesis chapter 3, in verse 8 and 9, God said, it says, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. We just sang it a little while ago. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. That was how it was all designed to be. Genesis was supposed to be this place where we all lived, and Adam and Eve were there, and then God walks in there in verse 9 and says, where are you? He's asking where Adam and Eve are, and we know what happened. They had already sinned, and they're hiding in the bushes and put fig leaves around themselves. And he says, where are you? Do you realize he's asking the same question today? Maybe you're online. Maybe this is the first time you've entered, ventured into church. You're not in trouble. God doesn't hate you. He wants to be with you. But see, God's perfection couldn't be in the presence of sin, of Adam and Eve. So they were cast out of the garden. And from that point on, the Old Testament tells us of the patriarchs, of Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and how he built his people and he drew them back. Well, they'd, they'd come back and then they'd run away and they'd come back and they'd run away. And they had been in Egypt for a long 600 years, a long time, and Moses leads them out of Egypt, out of slavery. And a few months after that, he's got them at the Mount of Sinai. And he gives them the law. God's plan had to be implemented in moments, okay? It couldn't be all done at one time. It had to be done in steps. The tabernacle and the law were the first steps, so I can live among them. That's what the Scripture says. He wants to live with you. The law was the first part of that. And, it, and He always wants that. The law didn't go away. I've heard people say uh, different times, say, well, we're not under the law. We're under grace. And I agree-ish. Okay? I, uh, the law didn't expire. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. All right? The Ten Commandments are still good. Don't commit murder. Don't steal. Don't lie. Right? Right? The 613 Commandments are still good. But what we're not under anymore is we're not under the law of sacrifices. We don't have to get our relationship with God because of the sacrifice. You don't see a lot of blood up here purposely. Okay? Stinks. We don't really want that in here. We don't have to because that one sacrifice was enough. Does that make sense? See... That was God's plan all along. He wants to have relationship with us. And the law and the tabernacle would fulfill similar goals. They would show us the authority of God and the futility of man. Okay, Because if we could do it without God, if we could save ourselves, if we could just follow all the laws and check all the boxes and do everything right, there wouldn't be a need for the cross. You know what we wouldn't have? We wouldn't have the New Testament. We wouldn't have any of that. We wouldn't need that. We wouldn't have most of the Old Testament. We'd probably just have the first five books of the, the Torah. But our God shows us the only way to come to God is God's way. His plan was the cross all along. Do you realize that the tabernacle is talked about in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the tabernacle is talked about more than any other subject. And i got to think that if God repeats Himself, it's probably important. You know, don't you think? If it's said a lot, in Scripture, in Exodus, it's talked about 13 times, in Leviticus, 10 times, in Numbers, 14 times, in Deuteronomy, 5 different places, Hebrews, 8 different places. The creation only took two chapters. The tabernacle is in 50 different chapters. It's important. It is something that God designed. He sustained it. And for 40 years, it never wore out. We have no biblical reference that says the, the tabernacle ever needed alteration. Well, we better extend it. We better you know, expand it. We better build on an extra... You know, Never needed alteration, never needed upkeep. It was all taken care of throughout its existence. The, think for just a minute. The logistics of hauling four million people for 40 years. Think of the logistical nightmare that would be. Out in the desert for 40 years. Yet Scripture will tell us that their shoes and their clothes never wore out. 
There was no, there was no mall out in the desert for them to get more clothes. God took care of them. He took care of everything. Friends, we need to be wowed by that. We need to be blown away that Almighty God is looking for you and preparing for you. Second Chronicles 16.9 that uh, was read during service there for the, uh, during the worship time, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth so that He may strongly support those whose hearts are completely His. Friends, He is for us. He is not against you. If we will get this, if, we'll, if that will sink into our DNA, it will change everything. Abram Heschel was a, a, a Jewish rabbi, wrote a book called in, God in Search of Man. He said this, A return to reverence is the first prerequisite for revival of wisdom. Awe precedes faith. You see, when we see that an almighty God that could live anywhere, could create anything, wants to live with us, man, that'll change how we face life. From the beginning of time, God has planned to be with us. There's another verse, Deuteronomy 23:14. Write that one down. I wish we would be screaming this one from the mountaintops. Deuteronomy 23:14 says, "For the Lord your God moves about in your camp to protect you and deliver you from your enemies." My God has been pursuing us since the beginning of time. Now, it may look cloudy. It may not look like it's a great day. You may feel all alone and nobody is around you. But just what Scott said, He loves you. He values you. Let's be honest. Women, women, women like to be pursued. True? Okay, I, I, okay. There's like four people saying yes. Either you're asleep or I'm way off base. All right. Yes, this is yes, okay? Uh, women typically like to be pursued. Typically, yeah, okay, okay. We like, the, the, the women like the men to seek after them, to chase after them, right? Guess what? Men like to be valued too, amen? We like to be, hey, that's my man. Hey, that, that guy's, that's my guy. You know, that we want to be important. Friends, God has been doing that. And He continues to do that. He's never stopped. And when we see that God is for us, it will change how we face pain. Listen to me now. My boss is out to get me, but my God wants me. My relationships are all a wreck, but my God wants me. You hearing me? Man, my job, my money, my friends hurt me. Those people did this thing to my kid. But my God loves me. You go... Okay, Don, I get that, but what does a tent have to do with anything? He is for you. In Genesis chapter 3, we talked about a minute ago, when sin entered the world, as Scott was sharing, do you realize up until the point that happened, there had never been bloodshed? They, they lived in the garden, and we don't know how long they lived in the garden before they sinned, but they had to name all those animals, so I'm thinking it was a day or two, all right? I mean, it, they had to spend a few days in there, okay? So they'd been there a while, and they walked with God and talked with God. But when they sinned, as the first time bloodshed was ever entered into our world, and it came because of an innocent animal. That animal had to be killed so their skin could cover Adam and Eve coverage. Because of their sin, blood had to be spilt. Some of you are way ahead of me. It separated us from His goodness. Friends, when we are hurting, when we are weak, when we are overwhelmed, anybody? Anybody ever been there? Anybody been there this week? When everything is washing us away, when all of the waves are coming in, the place to go is the presence of God. Question. Now, don't answer this out loud. Just think about it. Where are you, not, not you, not mankind, I mean you individually, where are you most relaxed? Now, some of you might be on the golf course, some of you might be out on the lake fishing. I got a hunch, some of you are most relaxed, you're thinking about a pillow right now, huh? Oh, I love that pillow, huh? I love it when it's right here, yeah. Huh? Huh? 
Or maybe it's your easy chair. How many you got a good? How many you got a recliner? A man, a man recliner. All right, I like, I love it. Mine's called the Beast. Okay. Uh, how many of you got a place? I got a hunch. Okay, that for a lot of us, the safest, most relaxed place we are ever at is our home around our loved ones. Now I get it. Not everybody has a happy home life. Okay, but for a lot of us, would that be a fair statement that? Our peace and our, our relaxed is when we are around people that love us. These people, when this tent comes along, they've been for ten generations slaves in Egypt. They didn't get any peace. They didn't get a vacation. They didn't get Saturdays off. They worked 24 all the time. All right? There was no holiday. They just worked and worked and worked and worked. Okay? They didn't have a peace. This tent represented a safe place from the pain that you're heard here, you're seen here, you're valued here. And I want you to see the symbolism in this tabernacle. Oh, it is ripe with symbolism. Uh, The mercy seat, that's in between the wings uh, above the Ark of the Covenant. That's where the high priest would take the blood. We're going to look at all of these items in the next few weeks. The high priest would pour the blood on the mercy seat. When God looks down from heaven, he sees the blood. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Okay? The cross. It's the same. It's very symbolic. Incense. The prayers drifting up. As sweet-smelling sacrifices. When you go into this tent in a couple of weeks, you're going to see that incense trailing up. But now because we have Jesus, those are our prayers that are offering up. Or maybe it's that laver that's out in the yard where you wash your hands and your feet. Question, what, what parts of you spend more time, what, what parts of you have the most contact with this world? Your hands, your feet. And he's saying, wash the world off of you and come into my presence. Those are powerful lessons. But, but why, if God could live anywhere, why did he build it in the desert? Why there with all the wind and the dirt? and the Why there? I'll tell you why. Because that's where his people were. Have you ever felt like you're in a spiritual desert? You've been... Dry and wiped out and alone and worn out and nobody notices me and nobody values me. Do you know our God wants to meet you right there? You don't have to get to a place. He wants to meet you right where you are. And that is life changing. He built in the desert. That's where His people were. And God has never stopped pursuing us. Exodus 25.8, build me a holy sanctuary so I can live with them, among them. Romans 5.8, we quote all the time, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you realize what that said? Before we were sinners, before we ever quit sinning, before we ever dreamed of sinning, He wanted to be with us. That's the pursuit He has for us. Awe precedes faith. Now, maybe you're new to this, and like I said, maybe you just stumbled in here, you're just online, and you don't know much about church or God or any of this. Start right there. Awe precedes faith. Look at how great our God is. That is a perfect building block. That's a perfect place to be. I read a story the other day about a World War II Marine that got separated from his unit on a Pacific island. They were fighting out there, and they were running, and he got separated and it was getting dark, and he didn't know where anybody was. And so he crawled down a ridge and, and crawled into, there were some caves in there. And he crawled back to the back, and he hid, hid expecting to be captured or killed. He was a believer, and he said, he, so he started praying. He said, Lord, if it be your will, please protect me. But your will be done. I trust you. So he laid quiet. He waited for the enemy to... Take him, because he didn't know what else to do. And so he laid there, and in the moonlight he saw a, a spider crawl to the top of the cave and start building a web across the top of it. And he saw, though, and I'm like, why is he building that there? And, and he's watching the little web be built, but he can hear the people. He can hear gunfire. He can hear all this stuff off to the side. And he, he almost says, God, I don't need a web. I need a wall. I need somebody to protect me. 
But he just sat there and was fascinated watching this little web being built. And all of a sudden he saw the flashlights of the enemy and they got up real close and they got up by that cave and they started shining their lights in there. He scrunched back, he held his breath, just please don't see me. And he sat there and they shined and then they shined at some of the ones around there and they talked, talked, and then they ran off. And he got to looking and I, he said, I think they saw that spider web and he realized if there's a web there, there's nobody in there. Nothing's been disturbed. So we don't even need to go look in there. And the enemy ran off. And he immediately prayed, Lord, I forgot to you a web can be better than a wall. Friends, the tabernacle reminded them and us that God is making a way. Even when it doesn't look good right now. The tabernacle was the presence of God with these people. Hey, we're in a desert, we're lost, but we feel like we're never going to get where we need to be, but God is with us. Now, the tabernacle is a monumental task to build and transport. We're going to talk about some of the details in the coming weeks, but God's presence came and lived there in the in the. The way of a, in the daytime it was a pillar of cloud, and at nighttime it was a pillar of fire, yes. And, and that's how they led. And, and he lived in that tabernacle. God designed it, and the, the Israelites built it. But do you know who paid for it? This is one of my favorite parts. In Exodus 25, Moses is going to come to the people and say, hey, bring me your money and your gold and your jewels. We need to build this place. For God. In fact, in Exodus 26, he's going to come and tell the people, stop bringing me stuff. I got too much, all right? But you've got to go all the way back to Exodus 12 to find out where they got all this stuff. They've been slaves for 600 years, right? But if you go back to Exodus 12, it's the Passover. Remember the Passover? We're celebrating that in a couple of weeks at Easter. The, they take the blood of the lamb and they paint it on the doorposts and the death angel will pass over, Right? And they got their little unleavened bread. That's what we celebrate. And they're hiding in their house. And they're, they're going through all of this stuff. And they're waiting. And the death angel comes. And the Egyptians didn't have the blood. And lots and lots of death. So that night, after all of these baby, all these children are killed, and the Pharaoh says, just leave. Take anything you want and just leave. And it says in Exodus 12, they plundered Egypt. And Egypt gladly gave them everything. That's how great my God is. He builds this thing, his people build it, and he makes the bad guys pay for it. All right? That's the best part of that. that They're the ones that paid for it. Now, it traveled with them through the wilderness. If you want to spend some time studying, look in Numbers 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, and you're going to see some of the stuff there. But they estimate, some estimate it was up to seven tons of equipment that they hauled around the desert. Can you imagine that? When it was built, it was the center of the camp, and that's how they transported. They didn't all line up, all right, line up two by two, you know. Uh-uh. They, they lined up, we're going to see the, the layout, and that's how they moved across the desert. Some estimate it was up to 10 miles wide. Number two, numbers 2 and 3 will give you the layout of the tent and the camp. It's important. It's 150 feet long, 75 feet long, and it faces east. Why? Because light breaks from the darkness out of the east. When we were setting it up and uh, getting ready to have it nine years ago, went out there and measured our lot out there is about 200 by about 100. And guess what? It faces east. And I went, you're just messing with me now. But when they set up camp, look at this. In Numbers 2 and 3, you can see this layout. And I want you to see this. i got to tell you straight up, we're just about done. I want to say that's north and that's south, right? That's not, okay? That's east is down here. That's west of that way in this, this layout, okay? Um, so the east is down to the south. You see Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, the big ones. The big square is the tribe of Judah. This is how they laid out the tabernacle, okay? Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun were to the east. That's 186,000 people. To the south is Gad, Simeon, and Reuben. So south up that way, north down that way. I know I'm, I'm messing all of our view. This is the one I could find that I liked, so, but I wish I could have oriented it a little bit more. Uh, Reuben, Simeon, and Gad are to the 
To the south, they're 152,000. To the north, Dan, Ashter, and Naphtali are 157,000. And to the west, the smallest group is Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. It's 108,000. The, the Levites camped around the middle. Don't worry, there's not a test. You don't have to remember these numbers, okay? I just want you to see something, okay? The biggest group was to the east. Uh, Judah, the lion of Judah, would come out of the east, okay? You're tracking with me? The smallest group is to the west. But uh, north and south are, are about the same size. It's a rectangle, and the sides of the, the, of the courtyard are similar sizes. From the sky, from God looking down on it, it's a cross. Plan A was always Jesus. He was always the part of that. The tangible evidence of God's love we can see in the tabernacle. His desire to have a relationship with you and me. Build me a place and I will dwell there. I will reside with you. I'll tabernacle with you. And I said I wanted you to get two things out of this. One, God is pursuing you. And number two, God's plan A is always the best. Because of Jesus, we don't have to wait for sacrifices. We don't have to to do any of that. We have His tabernacle right here. Now we're calling this His dwelling place. It is the access to Yahweh. And I, I really want you to be thinking about this. You said we're, we're two weeks away from Easter, Passover. And a lot of people will start thinking about these kind of things. How are you going to think about these things? How is God's presence going to affect you? Is His peace going to be on you? And are you going to give it to the people around you? We're going to invite you to sing a little bit more of that blessing. I loved what Franklin said. It is the priestly blessing. And that's what we want you to leave this place with. His peace. His presence. This is the tabernacle. And we want you to have Him in you. Maybe you don't. And we need to talk. Let's get together. Let's have coffee. Let's talk about those things. Maybe you've been away for a long time. He's not away. His blessing goes to you. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.